Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. All right, welcome everybody. Hi, Melissa. So today, <laughs> hi everybody. We actually have a lot of people on today. So we have two instructional coaches from Mad River School District in Ohio. And I'm going to let um, Amy and Mandy introduce themselves and tell you a little bit more about their work that they do. Hi, everybody. Amy? I'm uh, Amy Holbrook, and I'm an instructional coach at Mad River Local Schools. We're um, in Dayton, Ohio is probably the best way for people to think about it. Um, I started off in this role working with grades five through eight. Um, this was year four in this position. It was a new position as in four years ago. Um, but this year I've actually expanded quite a bit um, into the elementary world as well, um, helping to support not only wit and wisdom, but also some foundational skills works and looking at um, we're a foundations district and geodes. Uh, we started purchasing geodes. So Excellent. I have enjoyed stretching my brain quite a bit, actually. <laughs> well, Amy, we are so excited to hear that you're you're in, you're doing both of those things, but especially the geodes, because Baltimore is planning to use geodes next year. So hopefully maybe we can connect and, and be learners on that spectrum. That would be awesome. awesome. That would be awesome. Thank you. And Mandy, tell us about you. Yes. So my name is Mandy Poland. Um, I am an instructional coach as well. Um, I have, I started this journey along with Amy four years ago. Um, I have always been K4. <laughs> it was just me originally. And then we hired someone new and then Amy came and did some foundational skills work with us as well. And yeah, most of our work has been with supporting implementation of wit and wisdom. And like Amy was talking about the geodes work that we're really excited about. We love geodes. That's amazing. Excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we are so excited to have um, you guys on today because you all have actually implemented wit and wisdom for at least one full year before us, but I believe even maybe a pilot or so a little bit before that as well. So it's exciting to see kind of where you guys are um, with that. And I guess my first question would be, what motivated your district to look for a new literacy curriculum when you did? And how did you end up deciding on Wit and Wisdom? So um, it was kind of like a bunch of different forces came together about what motivated us to um, <laughs> uh, head towards um actually adopting a curriculum. So we did not have a shared curriculum K through eight. And since the new standards, um, teachers were just expected to create their own curriculum as well as implement. And um, mm -hmm. I think probably our first two years, Mandy, um, actually our first year in the coaching role, we were trying to figure out like, how to make sense of all of this and we were just listening to teachers a lot and there's a lot of frustration um yeah we were trying just to like get teachers to kind of embrace common core standards and shifts and um i think we did a lot of work around that and it didn't go a whole lot of places because we didn't mm -hmm. have a common curriculum to speak that same language yeah. with yeah and so um, we had an elementary school that our district decided to have the Fordham Institute do a review of. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things the review came back and said was, um, you need a curriculum. And um, that was very helpful. Like it was, I think it was reaffirming to teachers because they were feeling like they were struggling too. Mm -hmm. And like, hey, we need these materials. Um, and then the flip side is I was doing a lot of work with 7-8 um, at that time. And 7-8 has always been struggling in our district. We've always been some of the lowest test scores. And teachers were working really hard but really weren't getting anywhere. And they weren't really meeting as a department. They had nothing to talk about and share um, consistently. And so um, we were just hearing the same message from teachers. Yeah, and I think, sorry, Amy, I think just to add to that, like in the K-4 building that I worked at, um, they, the Fordham result, like 
sorry, the Fordham Institute showed that like individual teachers were doing a lot of really great things, but there was mm -hmm. that lack of coherence mm -hmm. going from classroom to classroom, yep. you know? So that was a huge yep. thing that kind of came up from that. Yeah. yeah. So I'd be interested to know when, and I'm just curious, when the Fordham Institute did that review, did they mention anything about the teachers being able to develop lessons on their own that attended to the demands of grade level standards? Like, did they find that teachers were able to successfully do this as a whole? I don't remember them really diving into that. Okay. Um, Mandy, can you, I can look it up actually. Um, I remember like a lot of pre-work knowing that the Fordham Institute was coming and like preparing for the review and they, the teachers had to like gather weeks worth of lesson plans and turn that in. And then um, I think that was kind of what they saw. Like some classes, some days were meeting the needs of the standards, but probably not right. most of the time and certainly not any coherence between grade levels. Sure. Yeah, yep. so I'm, I'm totally ag agreeing with that in the Baltimore as well. I feel like, uh -huh. and Melissa, feel free to add, I feel like that was something mm -hmm. that um, through, we had an audit a few years back, and that's kind of what prompted mm -hmm. us to adopt Wit and Wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we found is that teachers were, you know, although we did have a curriculum, teachers were still adding, and it was very piecemeal. Uh -huh. um, and so in order to meet the demands of the standard, we realize that it just wasn't happening to the level that we would have wanted to be like six years into Common Core implementation. So it's kind of like now that Absolutely. you know better, you do better. And yeah. once we knew better, we were like, we have to find a curriculum that does this and attends to the demands of grade level standards. Um, one of the things that I think we're working through now is to support teachers in transitioning that mindset from you know, becoming creators of curriculum to becoming mm -hmm. master implementers of curriculum. And yeah. yes. that's really difficult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's really, I would say we were in that same, yeah. Yeah. Um, that same boat, like we're, we're, we're moving past that a little bit, but that is definitely like the Fordham results definitely prompted a group of teachers to say, Hey, we need something, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, we're doing the best I, that we can, but we're not, we're not doing what we should and what our kids deserve. And so, yeah, now we have this amazing curriculum. Now we just have to kind of let go of the fact that we didn't create it and <laughs> follow it. Yeah. Yep. And I, yes. I would say most of our teachers are getting there. Yeah. yeah. So would you, would either of you mind sharing, I'm hearing you say, you know, that, um, you know, teachers are working on getting there. So how did it feel along that road to, to getting there? And I know we haven't even explored being there yet, but um, upon adoption of Wit and Wisdom curriculum, can you just share, you know, just the day-to-day the -day feelings of teachers? What were you hearing? What were you seeing? And then uh, maybe a little bit around a turning point, because um, I imagine there probably was a turning point for you um, when you had some aha moments. So anything that you both could share around that, I think would be insanely helpful for those listening. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Mandy and I would both talk a lot about early implementation. Um, there was, it was, it, it was emotionally um, tough and um, pretty draining because we all were really unsure of where this was heading and leading. And to suddenly be handed something, as you guys have talked about, that seems scripted, right? And we really wanted some fidelity initially. Um, it was awkward. Lessons were awkward. Mm -hmm. Implementation, um, learning how to listen to students and encourage mm -hmm. student voice in the classroom when that might have been absent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like mm -hmm. sometimes painful moment after painful moment after painful moment, right? Like not having an opportunity because it takes so long to figure some things out. Like not knowing where a lesson is, not a lesson, an arc is heading or the end of module and what that's going to look like and feel like. It's really hard to always feel like every day I'm taking another leap of faith. I'm taking another leap of faith. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like we talked about leaps of faith a lot. <laughs> like trust the process. Absolutely. And I think that gets really hard to hear. Um, it got yeah. really hard to say and yeah. really scary to say. 
because we didn't know if it was going to pan out either. Yep. Um, yeah. And Amy, like we had a lot of veteran teachers mm -hmm. that were really like one of the things I heard people say a lot was, I feel like a brand new teacher again. Like this is so yes. hard. I, it's like everything <laughs> I ever did, you're telling me is wrong. And that was yep. really, that was really hard to kind of like push through. Yeah. We talked about that in our last podcast or I think in our first podcast, mm -hmm. Melissa, didn't we? We yeah, we've heard that. We've heard that a yeah, lot yeah. that, you mm -hmm. know, teachers just feel like, yeah, it, like it's their first year all over again, no matter what year they're in. Yeah. Right, right. Absolutely. But, you know, as much as I think that that can be misunderstood by, um, you know, by teachers as an, as a negative thing, I think that pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in the end game, like you can get through all the pain and you know, strife is really a great thing. I mean, think about when you learn something new, how much your brain works hard, but it's also so rewarding because you're becoming a learner again. So you're getting to recreate your craft. Uh, did uh -huh. you guys experience that at all where teachers were initially had one mindset, but then shifted to the other as, as time went on? So where that played out is when, where teachers started seeing some student wins. And so, mm -hmm. um, it's where those leap, leaps of faith that suddenly teachers were noticing in the classroom, let's categorize a type of student that normally wouldn't have produced that high quality of work or asked that type of question or engaged with a tech so deeply. And suddenly they were noticing these pieces like there's something to this, right? Like a lot of teachers talked about like, I'm not sure that I would have picked these texts myself, but there's yeah. something yeah. magical to them. And the kids, I mean, like, well, what happens, right? When kids bring to the table, this depth of knowledge that they've learned about the context, and then they're applying it to the reading, you know, I'm thinking about like great depression and, but not buddy and out of the dust. And like, mm -hmm. they have things to say. And that's where you started really noticing like shifts happening. Like, I can't believe this kid just said this. Um, but you know, what's really powerful, I would say, Melissa and Lori, and Mandy can chime into this, is that you need somebody in the room with you to help you witness that sometimes. Like yeah. you, it's so isolating. And like, you're sometimes unsure of what you're seeing, if that's really what you're seeing. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Is, did that just really happen? And like, did Johnny uh -huh. just say like the most insightful thing I've heard in the past 20 years of teaching? Right. Um, <laughs> and so we found, and we still are finding like just needing that time together as colleagues to either talk it through or have be right alongside a colleague as this is happening is so instrumental to helping move people through um, uh -huh. that transition. Yeah. Well, and like, I think human nature is you kind of focus on the struggle and the negative. And so I feel like one of the roles we've found ourselves in is being kind of that cheerleader to point out those amazing things, you know, um, and just having teachers kind of meeting together and talking and reflecting on kind of the, um, the celebrations that they've mm -hmm. seen, or even just like pointing out, oh my gosh, I don't even know, like, who you would have pulled out last year. You know, we've, we've included all of our mm -hmm. students. This is um, an equity thing. We have all students in the class. We're not pulling any kids out for, um, you know, special ed services or whatever. They're in with wit and wisdom time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and like not being able to pick out who's mm -hmm. who. And those students are saying some of the most amazing things. Um, and like, anyway, those, the celebrations and pointing it out, like those are big deals. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's really amazing. I, it, you just reminded me of, we did a walk um, with our with some people from our district. And I found that like some of the people were very focused on those negative things, like you right. said, which yep. is that instinct, you know, like, uh -huh. well, they could have done this. Why did they do that? And I had to like pause and say, we realized that every student in that room was writing about animal farm right. in seventh grade, right? We just paused and like <laughs> recognized that that was happening and that's yeah. amazing. I, I yeah. would love to hear about um, what that looked like being a side-by-side -side cheerleader because I love how you said that. And honestly, that's how I'm really thinking of myself next year. So can you elaborate a little bit more on what that looks like? 
Um, I think it really, it, it, Mandy and I have had very different experiences with it, and yet, you know, the similarities and differences. So um, some of mine would be, I might have, uh, I worked with a seventh grade teacher every Wednesday with a certain block of students that she had, and I, I would be prepared for the lesson. So I would come in, we might co-teach, um, I might... Um, give her feedback alongside, like, hey, I noticed this. Why did you make this decision? Like, trying to understand why she made decisions without jumping to conclusions, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. Melissa. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? These, yeah. um, because they might have been appropriate in the moment. Um, it might have been, I'm just a part of the classroom and I'm noticing what students are doing and pointing that out, um, having a yeah. conversation later about it. Um, That's one level, um, one type of support. Um, Another is I actually ask teachers to sometimes give me, what do you want me to look for? Like, tell me what your biggest concern is within your implementation. And I would go in and collect evidence that I thought was speaking to that concern. So, and the evidence, it's, you know, it might be good. It might be things that we do need to have a conversation about. Some teachers just needed affirmation that this mm-hmm. work, like by Johnny giving you that answer, and then I, I don't think you noticed Kaylee over here in the corner doing this. Like it was really helpful for some teachers to be like, oh, okay, this is working. Cause you're like trying to navigate, right? 30 kids in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember working um, one time, I did a whole arc of lessons with teachers, yeah. and I worked with a kindergarten teacher and, um, I started out like kind of model teaching or whatever, and she was just assisting. And there were, you know, I did the full 90 minutes and that was something that was a little scary to some kindergarten teachers, <laughs> um, understandably. Yeah. Um, and yes. I, I'm not a kindergarten teacher, but I, you know, did mm-hmm. it. And she commented to me, like, I would have totally stopped <laughs> after mm. like 30 minutes and I wouldn't have like pushed them through. And it was not easy. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're squirrely, they're kindergartners, but she was like, they really like were doing amazing things still. And like you managed it. And so just like things like that to like reaffirm, like kind of that trust the process and yeah. don't underestimate the kids and um, a lot of just fun experiences like that. Yeah. Like we've really felt like you, we have to be just as vulnerable <laughs> as the um, teachers probably felt the day in and day out. And so we need to be prepared to be in the classroom and instruct and make missteps too, which I made plenty. Um, Absolutely. There was a joke with the seventh, eighth grade teachers that if I was in the classroom, they'd never hit pacing targets because I could <laughs> never <laughs> them. And that was so true. And that's something I had to work on this year. Yeah. Like if I committed to teach a, a lesson or be in there, that I could not disrupt that pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that's, but I think that's really powerful for everybody to see, like, it, we're learning alongside each other. Right. There is no... I think you guys refer to this. There's no robot, you know, experience. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So those are types of things we did. But, you know, the other thing, Mandy, I'm going to I'm gonna brag about Mandy. The first year, the pilot <laughs> year, and then um, the, second, the second year, the full implementation year, she would run after school. It would, um, we have four elementary buildings. And she would have PD sessions with them. Uh-huh. For first, I think it was like two hours and then you kind of refined it down to maybe like a 60 minute sort of learning session where basically, again, the educators were able to get together and really have this larger conversation of a little bit of learning. Like, what do we need to understand about the purpose of a Socratic? How do you facilitate one? What's the difference between fishbowl? Like those shared experiences really helped everybody understand, like, we're all we're all, we all have the same kind of concerns and questions. Yeah. And I feel like that's another lead along side. Like, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like honoring that there are issues and concerns to talk about and not, not hide from those, but like Mm -hmm. face them on and like, let's problem solve together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our first year we had to do that with kindergarten. Um, Mm -hmm. 
where we had to, we had a district wide meeting and it was just a problem solving meeting. Like how do we address the concerns that exist with kindergarten teachers? And so it was a tough day, but productive day. And, um, we have, we have to be responsive to the teachers. Um, if we want successful implementation. So we did, we made some compromises at a district level. Yeah. 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 I believe we had the same kind of meeting with our kindergarten. No. <laughs> yeah. <See? laughs> yep. yeah. So I'm hearing you say Funny. like so many amazing, useful, tangible tips that, that we can use as like examples of like side-by-side inquiry-based coaching and support. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to like condense them really quickly into a recap list. Can I do that? Sure. Okay. So you, you tell me if there's anything I missed, but I was taking notes as y'all were talking. Um, they, like you both proved that you were, were useful and willing to get in there and get dirty and do the work, um, that you were prepared to teach with and for them. Um, you provided in the moment coaching teachers had input for specific look fors. Uh, that they wanted to work on. So it really provided that buy-in opportunity. You all asked lots of questions. So, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, I heard you say, can you tell me about why you made that instructional decision? Um, And that absolutely takes that onus off the teacher of being like, oh my gosh, this was wrong. So you kind of negated the idea of being wrong and just discussing the why behind it. Um, I heard modeling so you it's and I'm I'm inferring that you might have used gradual release to provide teachers the opportunity to see a 90-minute lesson in action and then throughout the arc of lessons maybe use the gradual release to you know finally release the teacher to be able to feel confident enough to teach the next set of lessons Um, you provided PD sessions to break down specific strategies for wit and wisdom I heard you all mention um, Socratic seminar and fish bowls, things that teachers may not have been familiar with, but so important to have those conversations. Um, I hear, heard that you also acknowledged when there was a, an, an issue or a concern and you came together to troubleshoot and talk about it. I think that that really, that responsiveness to that really shows that you were in the game with them and willing to make, make changes um, within the constraints of what you could make changes for, right? Like we're not going to actually change the lessons. We're not changing the curriculum, but we can make a change to provide you with more support around understanding what a fishbowl looks like at the kindergarten level, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing what you can within the constraints of the curriculum and showing that you are responsive and learning together. Did that pretty much recap? Yeah, that sounds good. That was beautiful. <laughs> My gosh, is that what we do? That is so that's awesome. awesome. I want yeah. to copy that. Yeah. Listen, you can show on the road. Okay. <laughs> and this is really exciting. I actually just read an article from Ed Reports, um, who you know, they kind of give yep. the ratings for yep. all of these curricula. Um, and they've said it was an interesting article from them because they said, yeah, you can have a really great curriculum, mm-hmm. but if you don't actually do all of this that you're talking about right now and not just one professional development to say, here's what it is, good luck, but all of this along the way, it's just not going to go well and it's not going to work. So all of this is needed for even the best curriculum to actually. And also that there's not just like one way to do this, right? Like you, yeah. you can't just do the PD and you can't just have the side-by-side coaching in the classroom one-on-one. It's got to be a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And so all the things that you all just mentioned have been, you know, I assume that as you're in the moment doing them, it doesn't feel like it's a huge wave of effort, but to put together, it's a huge tidal wave, you know, essentially of implementation for the curriculum. So I think that that's really important too, is it's not just one thing. We can't just say we're going to do one thing and, you know, it's, it's more like a menu of all of these things we have to do to support teachers in this. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys mind if I switch gears slightly? Sure. Yep. Do it. <laughs> so I wanted to come back to a little bit about the question of how did you decide on wit and wisdom? <laughs> but I also, along with that, wanted to think through, you know, you guys have mentioned like those aha moments in the classroom where it's amazing things that your special education students are right beside the regular education students without even knowing the difference. Um, and, and we haven't even talked about from the article that we read about you, the amazing test score 
jump that, that you all saw. So from all those things, I'm wondering, like, curriculum-wise, what have you seen in the curriculum that is working, right, that is pushing your students to get to this place? Um, well, I'll start us off with how did, how did we decide wit and wisdom? Um, <laughs> so I wish I could say we had a beautiful process in place. We certainly <laughs> learned... Um, well, we learned a lot. So we knew about Student Achievement Partners. Um, I met Tool at that point. But all of this happened, like all of these pieces came to in place in the spring of a school year. And a decision was made literally that last week of school to pilot the <laughs> next year. Yep. So oh Mandy God. and I, yeah, so Mandy and I were like frantically looking for curriculum that was different. And so we were just going down our little rabbit holes. Um, Mandy actually found Wit and Wisdom when they were in the pioneer stage. Mm-hmm. And she had been reaching out to them. Um, we were using Ed Reports. There just wasn't much out there that was K-8. Because at that point, we also knew 7-8 wanted something. Um, yes. And so we had two ends of the spectrum, like they... they different um and so we came across mandy came across wit and wisdom and we happened to be at a student achievement partners their annual convening um that they used to host in denver and i had left a session early which was not typical (laughs) don't oh man this is on a podcast now darn it (laughs) you now i'll delete that part everybody's going to know we all do it okay well i'm usually trying to be really good about it um and they were having these breakout sessions these little small informal sessions and somebody and you looked at this post-it note board and lauren chapley had put up there um basically wit and wisdom and i texted mandy and i was like somebody from wit and wisdom is here like this was in may (laughs) and we stalked her you guys speak of stalking people um we stalked her on this app we don't just so you know we don't think that that's a problem okay no we don't either (laughs) we're okay with that totally yeah and so uh we cornered her for like two hours i think uh, yeah, <laughs> and just peppered her with questions, and um, I'll let Mandy take over the story, kind of. Well, from and there. she was lovely. Like oh. we cornered her, but she happily like yes. shared. <laughs> she was telling stories about her experience, um, you know, implementing uh-huh. a version of wit and wisdom with students, and she was like getting teary eyed, uh-huh. you know, Aww. and like crying. And so we were like, mm. "Oh, we really love this." And so that, like Amy said, that was I think like early May. Mm-hmm. We took it back, um, you know, and shared it with kind of the stakeholders from the elementary school that was kind of leading the charge. And I presented kind of a just like I made a PowerPoint, kind of like the sales pitch of Wit and Wisdom, basically. And um, they were also bringing things and they actually selected it. They so it was a teacher decision they liked everything that it had to say, you know, they liked that it was based on standards. They liked that it was real texts. Um, yeah, they liked the art piece. So we chose it. And then a few other people Mm -hmm. joined in the seven and eight joined in. So it did become a K eight implementation, which I guess was initially our goal, but I don't think we knew we were going to be able to find that. Mm -hmm. We had been looking at in seven, eight, like EL, and so, like, mm-hmm. teachers, the lead teachers, they were already familiar with that. And so, for them, when we were looking at what existed at, we weren't thinking K-8 initially, um, but we were looking to see what the possibilities existed. But, like, just for them, when they uh, when they just went through, and knowing it was a pilot, that was very helpful. Our first year was Absolutely. a pilot. Like, so if this didn't work out, we we knew we had some other paths to travel down. But like when they started looking at the wit and wisdom work, I mean, the art, you know, the access pieces, um, humanities approach. I mean, that was a, that was a huge seller. Um, and so, and it was their experiences. So we had one whole building, two other third grade teams, right, Mandy, or just one other third grade team, one other third grade team, and then two departmentalized fourth grade teachers, and then a fifth grade team, 
they opted mm-hmm. to join in the pilot, and then our seven eight teachers were in the pilot. So we had an extensive amount of people involved in the pilot across the district. So that was helpful. Um, and even going through that, like the seven eight teachers were implementing with only forty five minutes a day. Wow! Um, mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we um, they still because it actually led to us getting two more teachers so we could offer 90 minutes of instruction for seven, eight. Um, and so even without that promise, they still wanted to hold on to wit and wisdom because the experience was just so transformative for them and the students transformational for them. So that's amazing. That's yeah. great. But now going back, I would say we would go through, we would go through ed reports. We would, uh, <laughs> right. yeah, Louisiana believes we would use the IMET tool and apply it to the full, you know, several curriculum curricula to look at. Yeah. Well, we, we did do that and we landed in the same okay, spot great. as you guys. Yes. So yeah, we feel really lucky. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We feel very fortunate, especially because, um, you know, we talked earlier that your foundations district as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we kind of lucked into that as well. And now that the yeah. geodes are bridging mm. the two, like how did we get so lucky? It's amazing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so that's how we decided on wit and wisdom. Um, yeah. It, like Mandy said, we're, we were lucky in that regard, but we, I will say this. We also knew all of these different components of what should be in a strong curriculum by that point. Mm-hmm. We've done a Very lot true. of work with student achievement partners. We knew about the shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew what that instruction should look like. So it was a very easy to recognize when looking at this curriculum. Yeah. So yeah. Um, having that background knowledge at, um, was very helpful. Um, it helped us look at be a lot more critical of anything we were looking at. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Very true. I guess it wasn't all luck, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> you guys knew what you were yeah. looking yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, Melissa, I think, I feel like, Melissa, what did you ask? Like, what is working? Is that the question? Like, ten, like ask so many questions in I one. Know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly where you're not supposed to be. Um, <laughs> So the second part of that question was more about that. Okay, so we we chose that curriculum, but we have you guys have said today already, but we've seen too um, the gains on your test scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, just lots of really good things happening. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, what is it about this curriculum that is working? You know that you know you said it's it's standards based. It has mm-hmm. it's the shifts and all of that, but um, I mean those are pretty dramatic gains that you guys made. <laughs> and and um, we will just to add on. We will link that, that the article that we are referring to through uh, about wit and wisdom through Great Minds. We'll link that in the notes for the show so yeah. that people can check in and see the exact scores on the test. Um, but and before you share the scores, just be a little bit more specific about this. Is this your the end of your third year using Wit and Wisdom in some of your schools due to the first pilot year, or can yes. you just clarify that a little bit, like push that out a bit, and then share um, uh, the answer to Melissa's question? <laughs> so we just ended our second year of full district implementation K eight. Got it. And um, so we had a pilot year prior to that where um, different grade levels and buildings had participated. So some buildings are at, they were on year three, um, and then some buildings are, are at the end of year two. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Um, Mandy, do you want to start with this? Would you like to talk about what you think is working Um, yeah. So what is working? So I feel like I'm trying to remember what's shared in that article. I think it's specific to the third grade that Mm -hmm. was the pilot year. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like they totally treated this as a process. Mm. Um, they took it very slow their first year. Um, they did not get through all four modules. Um, Mm -hmm. we were definitely kind of, um, feeling our way through. We did not have professional development officially until I believe March. Um, but they really just embraced the process. We had, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, Amy already talked about like the after school monthly professional development sessions that were the whole 
elementary pilot group came together and reflected. And mm. um, I always incorporated some sort of instructional routine from Wit and Wisdom. Um, and then we focused on a specific part. But then we also had um, full days mm -hmm. where that whole team worked with me um, to kind of do like a module study, basically, um, and really learn kind of plan the big picture, kind of that backwards design planning where they, you know, looked at the end of module task and then kind of just read the core text, did all of those things to get to know what they're teaching to try to prevent that day-to-day -day survival mode. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that allowing, you know, the, the district and the building principal, allowing them that time out of their classroom to really dive in and get a good sense of what they were doing and learning because it is a lot to teach this curriculum. It's not an easy curriculum to implement. So, you know, mm -hmm. really honoring their time and how much work goes into it. Um, I think that's one of the things that worked and they just, like I said, they just embraced it as a process. Yeah. And what about for students? I know like yeah. some of our teachers already are seeing like, like writing is one thing that's yep. come up a lot for us is just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that they're writing yeah. this well at the end of this yeah. school year. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's anything else you saw in students too that is just like, wow, that is We writing. saw, I think we saw writing as well too. And um, I think there's two reasons why like writing, where you see it in writing one way, um, but also just in general in the classroom. So when they say that this curriculum is for all students, like all, it really is. And so if you have that true that approach like this is equity based like Absolutely. kids deserve our professionally we should allow all students access to grade level appropriate assignments like that is yes. our part of our yes yes high yes. expectations <laughs> yeah. right like thinking about the opportunity myth so yep. like mm. deep engagement strong instruction so this equity piece i think works because what happens what I've noticed with students is that it's, well, first of all, there's no presumption that there's any background knowledge, right? right? Like you're mm -hmm. building it together. You're sharing, mm -hmm. like they're having the same dialogues with each other and they suddenly get to communicate in ways they never have. And what that does for not only student learning and motivation, um, I mean that, but also like confidence, mm -hmm. right? Like suddenly a child, like, we're all building from the same stair step. You know, we're all walking up together alongside this huge stair step. And so we could talk about it along the way. And before we used to probably ask kids to engage in ways that presumed a lot of pieces that were in place that weren't. And so you were always yeah. sort of honoring kids that came to the table with all of the pieces in place and that stripped other students' voices from the classroom. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that makes this works is like, it's gotta be all students. Yeah. And you- Something you, else like, oh, go ahead, Amy, no, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say, you can't like, you can't, um, oh, what's the term I want? Um, you can't like create classrooms where you've got, like you have a high class, right? Like what's that called? Yeah. Um, like homogeneous, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you have to have heterogeneous um, groupings of students. We learned that quickly in order for this mm -hmm. to be successful. They need each other as peers to develop and evolve their thinking about the text that they're engaged with. Mm -hmm. And then I would say the second piece of that, Mandy, if you don't mind holding on to your thought, no, um, go for it. is that writing, listen, we never gave kids opportunities to learn right. deeply <laughs> about something they didn't have anything to say right. We, right it's really hard to write about something you don't know about yeah right? yeah or like you spent like you wrote you read a little bit about it yeah and so they have something to say now and so even if the conventions and they want to say it. oh man do they they do that's awesome yeah and so even if the conventions aren't there yet you know that content knowledge is that ability to communicate what you're mm -hmm. thinking is there Ooh. I, I just got chills talking about that. Yeah. That's like those one yeah. that's one of the wins in the classroom. And I think that plays out in test scores, right? Yeah. A kid walking into, I know how to engage in a text. I know what's being asked of me. I know how to say something now. 
right? I know how to, to, to do all those things that I need to do to perform on a state assessment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've spent a whole year developing a confidence in that through a repeatable process through the modules. Yeah. Confidence was the word I had in mind yeah. too. Uh -huh. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to kind of add to that. And then Amy, I want you to talk about test scores more in the middle school, but um, one of the shifts that I've seen in teachers is I think I was guilty when I was a classroom teacher of under kind of underestimating our students yeah. and like lowering my expectations mm -hmm. for yeah. them because I knew what they were dealing with at home, right? Like all of all the things that they have to deal with and that I kind of felt sorry for them. And so like, I'm going to go easy on them, but yep. kind of shifting to like, that's not really doing them any favors. Um, yep. That loving these children actually means loving them and providing <laughs> the best future for them. Yeah. And yeah. they have to be able to read. Right. And um, they come to school to learn and to be loved. And I just think that's really kind of a big shift that I have seen in myself, but also I'm seeing in a lot of other people as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, just, just to add to that, I feel like that the way that you're providing them the love and the learning there and what I'm hearing both yeah. of you say is through that, that knowledge build, right? Through that mm -hmm. content build. Right. Absolutely. Because then the playing field is level for everyone and we're all starting from the same stair step and we're all moving up together in our knowledge base. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And that's something that Melissa and I have spoken about on two of our podcasts. We interviewed Sarah Watered um, from Wit and Wisdom. She talked to uh -huh. a ton about shift three, um, you know, building knowledge, as well as um, last week we talked about Natalie. We talked about Natalie Wexler's articles, and we just <laughs> love her so much for all that she brings to the table as a reporter and as someone who just yes. really gets education and, you know, this is something that we've been talking about. And so by, by loving them, you're not giving them below grade level standards, loving them <laughs> to hold their accountability to grade level standards. And then going within the curriculum, using the curricular structures to provide them what they need in order to, to access that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just like, yes. so Preach. thankful. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saying all that. And one of the things that, you know, obviously were the conversation this, the undergird is test prep, um, that, that original question. Um, but what I didn't hear either of you say is that you're pausing instruction to get um, a sample state <laughs> test and to have students do, right. you know, a sample state test and the whole school's gonna pause and do test prep. And, you know, can, can you just share maybe um, why that might not, might not be an effective approach and why, mm -hmm. and I'm just, this is what I heard you say, I'm not saying that it is what you're doing, but can you just share why it might be an effective mm -hmm. approach to stay within the curriculum um, in order to have students be prepared for tests? Yeah. So I would definitely say that was our approach in 7-8. Um, we used to pause. We used to spend weeks before testing, reviewing, and, you know, having a boot camp and just whatever we could desperately do. And that's what it was. It was like this desperate attempt to raise test scores. And guess what? It never worked. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things, and this really, this is the teachers. I cannot say enough about the seventh, eighth grade teachers and what, how they decided to embrace this. Like they took this huge leap of faith and just decided like, it's the instruction day in and day out that matters that prepares the kids. And so if we focus in our instruction, and the curriculum that we're providing, that is preparation. Yep. Like that's it. And so what happens, like they took a leap of faith. What happens if you don't spend time prepping and taking a, st a state test score? Well, they decided to do it last year. They had full faith and confidence um, in their instruction and what they were seeing from the kids. And they're like, we're going for it. Yeah. Um, and so, and it paid out. It paid off, right? And so mm -hmm. this year, it's it was the same approach. I was actually in a seventh grade classroom um, the day before testing, and that was the day that we just reminded them they had state tests the next day. Yeah, <laughs> and we just said, "You've got this." Like now, I will say we do a couple things. Like we use Edge Elastic in seven eight, and we've placed question sets on Edge Elastic and the FQTs and EOM. So we at least had students practicing typing up 
Yeah. Right. And, and, and the, I, for yeah. those folks who are listening who may not know all the acronyms, I just want to jump in and point out that um, those are Wit and Wisdom curricular materials. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah they're the assessment pieces. Correct. And so um, most of the student learning was paper, pencil, and books. Like we don't have one to one devices. And so, right. but. Th- they just try to embed their prep, at least for preparing to use the digital tool of a computer to take the assessment and their assessment pieces when possible. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it was really that the teachers just deciding to, like, let this go. They knew what they did before didn't work. And so they decided to do a different approach. And we've always heard this, you know, little unicorn magical, you know, unicorn that exists out there like good instruction is all the test prep (laughs) well apparently it's true so um, i know you're not sitting in front of your computer right now like i am but i just want to read off uh, the percent proficient on the state test from 2016 2017 seventh grade the score was 35.9 percent proficient in one year, so 2017 to 2018, proficient on the state test, same kid, seventh grade, went from 35.9% the year before to 57.8%. Yes. No test prep, just curricular yep. assessment, you know, and yep. curriculum and assessment preparation through wit and wisdom. Yep. Yeah. I, I think what you're, what you're saying about the teachers making that decision just really speaks to me as an adaptive change that they were willing to acknowledge like, Hey, we have been doing the same thing. And I think the definition of insanity is right. Do the right. thing again and yeah. again. Um, yep. so they were willing to make that change and they, they should be so proud of, mm-hmm. of what they did. I don't, I, I am not someone who like believes that we're doing this for test scores. But I do believe right. that it's a marker of what's happening in everything. Yeah. So yeah. great job to those teachers and to yeah. you guys for really helping them see that in, a, in an inquisitive, instructive way. Yeah. Yes. And I will say their principal was very helpful. Like she, there was no pressure from her. Like, and listen, again, I think it was really helpful that 7-8 has always had the worst test scores in the district. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like, there was no pressure from her that you needed. Like, she trusted the process, too. She wanted them to, like, experiment and, like, just had faith in them that if they're following a process, they're meeting regularly, we're, you know, we're constantly talking about instruction. Um that that would lead to improvement. And so I think that helped. It took a, it took a, you know, a worry off the teacher's shoulders that somebody was, you know, sitting and analyzing whether or not this is the right step or not. And why aren't you doing Mm -hmm. test prep? So, yeah, um, that was helpful. So I got to say that. Excellent. So I think that we could probably talk to you guys all day, (laughs) but agreed. We're going to, we're going to need a follow up. Uh, yeah, love it. seriously, we'll need a yeah. part two. But I'm thinking to wrap it up, if you guys wouldn't mind. Um, I think we like to ha- get some advice from people. Mm-hmm. So if you could each give one piece of advice that you would give to either a whole school or a single teacher who might be implementing Wit and Wisdom for the first time next year, what would that advice be? I would say, first and foremost, trust the process, because it is a process. Um And then I would also say, learn as much as you can, as early as you can. Like if you have your core texts, read all your core texts, Um, do kind of like the module study where you're looking at the big picture and where the students need to be and where they need to end. Um, The more you know, the better you'll be, right? The better decisions Mm -hmm. you'll be able to make. Yeah, that's right. Um, I would say... I would give a piece of advice to, this would be to individual teachers, um, that it's really okay to have maybe your personal beliefs about teaching Mm. and learning challenged. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's okay for your, um, perhaps your teacher training (laughs) to be challenged as well. Mm -hmm. And to be, to almost anticipate that at times, because I feel like when you anticipate it, 
you go into a questioning mode, like, what do right. I need to know and understand about this? And how does it help shift my thinking versus if I'm not anticipating that, I might become defensive and not willing to look. And so right. this has changed all of us um, as educators. Like, I, I now... Ch- question everything all the time. That's amazing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so, but you have to be prepared for that because that is a hard place to always be like feeling like you're being intellectually and emotionally challenged. Mm-hmm. So, but knowing it, knowing that I will be, it kind of lightens the, the, the impact yeah. I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing talking to you both. We, just, we yeah. have to do it again. Will you promise to come back on again? A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next? Oh my God. I know. Um, well, I'm sure we can brainstorm some topics. Yeah. You, what, one of the things that, um, Mandy, you had mentioned in your advice is that, um, you know, prepare, learn as much as you can mm-hmm. to be the, the most prepared. Absolutely. And so we did uh, one of our previous podcasts was um, Wit and Wisdom. We did we did beach reads, like best reads for the summer. Yes, I oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so we tried to connect it to like community opportunities and specific yeah. books that teachers might want to really dig into over the summer. And um, that I think that that would really help any of our listeners mm-hmm. who want to to get to the level that you're talking about like get to that level of mm-hmm. like what can I do I want to do something mm-hmm. you know to um right in. start reading your books yes. right start reading those cortex yeah. that's the first step yes it, it seems like such a little marker but it's like literally the most important thing you can do <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah especially for those middle school yes. teachers yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so Lori and Melissa I want to take a minute and thank you both for starting this podcast because a I mean Again, like you just not only took us down memory lane, but like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get a little emotional. You reaffirmed a lot of the work that we did that we were really unsure about. And um, I think this is great that you're trying to bring this to scale, right? Yeah. To help everybody through this experience. So I can't thank you both enough for starting this and being dedicated to it because this, this is the work, right? Like this is it. Like, this is what's going to keep it moving forward. So thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thank oh, you. Awesome. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, thank you both so much have for this. Have a great day. Great to talk we to you We can't wait to, to put the show out there. And I think that anyone who's starting Wit and Wisdom is just going to be so thrilled to listen to this and hear your reflections. And we have to continue with it because I think that that is one of the most important things we can do is just build a community to connect, like you said. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.